This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. I'm with repeat guest, Mary Miley Theobald. How are you, Mary? I'm good, thanks. And you're down in Virginia, and we're talking to you today about a book you wrote. Uh, well, the first time you were on, it was a great show. You were talking about the myths in oh, history. Right. Oh, that was such a blast. But this time, we're going to be talking about another book you wrote, and it's called Stuff After Death. Uh, it's kind of a, a shocking title, Death. You know, we that really stands out. But, you know, it's something that we have to deal with um, out there. But this book is geared to the person who... It needs to be walked through on what to do. Can you uh, kind of explain, first of all, what made you decide to write the book? And second of all, just kind of go over what the book entails. Okay, well, I'll take it in that order. I first thought of this as a topic uh, a couple decades ago when my in-laws passed away and I came up upon my husband and sister-in-law, who were the only two heirs, um, sorting through the, the the stuff, and I was not trying. I was trying to stay away from it, frankly, and not be part of it, and let them make up their minds. And they had piles of this pile was going to be thrown away, and this pile was something to keep. And in the throwaway pile, they had a piece of tarnished, crumpled sterling silver, a bowl. And in the keep pile, they had a little pristine bowl that was a uh, silver plate and I said no no we will switch these <laughs> uh, we will throw out the silver plate and we will keep the sterling because it's good for melt um, even if it's a mess mm-hmm. and they they had no idea what the difference was between sterling and silver plate which having grown up in a house full of antiques and having had a lot of curatorial training at Colonial Williamsburg kind of surprised me, but I realized that that's normal in America. People Mm -hmm. do not realize that they don't really know what their objects are made of. Um, And so I didn't write the book then. I just filed it away in my brain and thought about it. And over the years, other examples like that came to the fore. And I thought, there needs to be something out there for people, for all of us who lose a a loved one and have to deal with the stuff after death and how to to, to help them identify and then value and then dispose of the inherited stuff that they don't want. Some of the, some stuff, of course, they want to keep, but, but most of it they don't want. And what do they do? Uh, People are, are really clueless. And I've had any number of of people look at this and say, oh, gosh, I wish it were here when my grandmother died, or or, I'm so glad your book is here now, I can use it because my parents are very ill and I know I'm going to end up dealing with a house full of stuff soon. So uh, Mm -hmm. that's how I came to it. And I think the book is, what it is not is a book that values your stuff. That would be a thousand books. (laughs) The, or more, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, books on, you know, the value of British miniatures and books on the value of toasters. And, you know, it, that's endless. Um, this is how to identify what you have. Most people don't even know what it is uh, that they've got. And 
how to then go about valuing it so you can decide whether you're going to sell it yourself or um, donate it to a museum or to Goodwill or um, call in an estate appraiser or have a garage sale, all the, all the different options. But you can't, you can't make up your mind unless you know what you're talking about. And whether you're the sole heir or, or one of a dozen heirs, it's a, it's a daunting job, and it, it's made harder because so few of us are adept at evaluating objects. And you don't know what to do with an item unless you know what it is and roughly what it's worth. So that's what this book is about. That's right. And, you know, I've seen so many times where uh, something is really unique that is kind of lost. And you go into some of these old estates, and inside, like, say, a vase or something pretty unique, There'll be a little note inside that the owner wrote all the information. Those are wonderful because oh, what yeah. what happens to a, a lot of things everywhere all over this country is um, it becomes a picker's dream when people have absolutely no idea what they have and don't know what to do with it. And you hear that over and over again, and it's I believe that gap is growing even wider and wider where uh, people are unaware of exactly what their parents or grandparents have. And you've got to start somewhere. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, and I certainly don't know everything. Um, uh, this was a lot of research. I was fairly confident about my knowledge on certain areas that I'd gotten in, in school and in, in practical circumstances with Colonial Williamsburg, but, um, you know, I didn't know about what to do with medicines that you find it, and mm-hmm. what what uh, house or apartment doesn't have medicines to dispose of. So I had to, in cases like that, I have to go to um, do interviews. Uh, I would talk to pharmacists and different, uh, uh, I talked to people in the, uh, um, who, who care for our water supply who <laughs> said, for God's sake, don't flush it down the toilet or pour it down the sink, you know, uh, what to do with medicines. And, and Well, what is the example of what you do with medicines? It's, it's definitely don't put it in the water supply because right. we can't filter that out. And as people mm-hmm. are putting all these chemicals uh, in the water supply, they're staying there. They're damaging the wildlife and the fish yes. that we eat. And then we're drinking it for crying out loud. That's so right. what, what's the easiest thing to do? Uh, you, in some states, you can take all the medicine back to a pharmacy and say, please dispose of this. And some states, they have to do that. Other states, they're not allowed to do that. It depends on where you are. But um, if worse comes to worse, you get a plastic milk carton, put all your medicine in it, fill it with some water or half full with water, and shake it up for a while until it pretty much dissolves, and then pour kitty litter or um, plaster Paris or something like that in it until it hardens and throw it in the landfill. And wow. then nobody's, no animals are going to eat it. No kids are going to get at it. No, it's not going in the water supply. You know, wow. that's um, that's what the World Health Organization and other um, uh, environmentalist groups recommend. So, wow. but that's a huge danger that we all face as as unknowingly people dump medicine down the sink. Right now, another thing that you may come across that you may not know what to do with is guns. Did you check hmm. into that? Yeah, and that's another, that depends on your state. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's hard to come up with 
generalizations, but um, Goodwill is a good place to contact because even if they don't deal with guns, and most of the times they don't, they often have relationships with local police departments and and can facilitate that, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Um, you, You hate to see people who aren't comfortable handling guns carrying them around, I mean, not even knowing if they're loaded or not. Um, um, but guns certainly can be sold to dealers, and, and it, it just depends on your state. So that, and, and whether you can take them from one state to another is a little tricky, too. So That's that needs right. a little research. You know, I work with this auction house. We're the largest um, firearms, antique firearms and collectible firearms um, auction company in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And the office I work out of is down in near the Boston area in Massachusetts. And we can't take in a single gun. You know, we, we have to stay away from all that. The laws are just so stringent. Huh. We just have to stay away from it. And you're right there. You have to really look into a state per state situation. Now, another chapter, uh, chapter five, I see avoiding the family feud. And boy, I tell you what, I could talk about that for an hours because of the things I've seen. And I just want to tell you one thing. My father, of course, was in the um, auction business long before myself. He mm-hmm. saw so much of that, that um, when before he passed away, every single thing was divided long ahead of time. And on the back of everything was a tag with a person's name on it. Isn't that wonderful? My grandmother did that too. There was no quarreling. Yep. Yep. And so let's talk a little bit about that because I've seen people spend much more money than they inherited over the fight about it. Oh, isn't that awful? It is. We all think that won't happen in our family, but, you know, the fact of the matter is it often does. And it's usually the items that are sentimental rather than mm-hmm. a sentimental value more than monetary value that provoke the most vicious um, fights. And yeah. it's, it's just a sad situation, and it can be avoided, but... It, it requires people in their, you know, older years to to look ahead and do what your father did or my grandmother did and put a label or make a list uh, on items and and then it's not going to be contested. I mean, if some, you, you can't argue with that. Mm-hmm. But there are there are some tricks, if, if, assuming there is no will or the will was so general it said divided equally between my four heirs or whatever. Um, you know, you can flip for first choice and go around. You can do the, the variation on the cake cutting trick and divide things into four, four uh, segments and whoever divides chooses last. Uh, uh, if, you know, but you can have an auction with monopoly money or you can call in a real uh, estate uh, um, state professional or auctioneer and, and actually auction them to the general public and let the heirs uh, bid just along with everybody else. That's right. And that's perfectly legal. There's no issue with that. It's illegal for a person to bid on their own item. However, if they are part of an estate where they're uh, one of the co-inheritors, they can certainly bid at auction. And a funny story about that, Oh, I don't know. When I was about 17 or so, I remember uh, we were in a house and they were doing just that. They wanted everything to go to auction and they came to the auction. But there was a couch that was all torn apart and it should have been thrown out. 
and we were going out the door and they said, oh, no, you got to take that. And, they, and we told them, look, it's not worth an absolute <laughs> penny, not, not even a cent. And they said, you have to take the couch. We're fighting over it. And <laughs> one of the heirs paid $900 for this couch. Oh. And I remember the, in the, uh, the audience clapped <laughs> because no one could believe anyone would bid on it. Yeah. And you're well, right. And sentimental value. That's exactly what I was yeah. going to say. Sentimental value because um, there, you look at the thing and really it, it was landfill. But, yeah. you know, someone wanted it. Yep. So, and, and that's the name of the game. Now, let's go through the situation here uh, because, as you say, this does happen a lot. I mean, it happens an awful lot. Every single year there's like several hundred thousand people that have to deal with this just in America. Sure. Every single year. So the first thing you want to do, in my opinion, is um, know what you have, like you said, and make sure you just don't willy-nilly throw things out. Um, so can you kind of go over what you, you think the the beginning is of, of a situation? Yeah, I think the, the first people people need to understand whether or not they are they are suited to dealing with this themselves. Everybody thinks, oh, I'll just take care of this myself and I'll save money that way. I'll make, make more money or get to keep more of the money. And that is true if you do it yourself. You probably will. Um, but that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And there are a lot of costs involved that people don't think of right away. If you have a house, for instance, that you've inherited full of stuff and you spend a year or two going through the items in it and disposing of them one by one, which is what you have to do, um, you've lost the, the use of the house for two years. You've lost the money that you could have been made, making from rent or, or selling the house. I mean, th there are costs involved in doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and many, many people don't have the time or the interest in doing it themselves. So I think that's the first question. Um, do you really want to make this your project or do you want to get it over with in a short amount of time? If you need to do it very quickly, then there are some ways to handle that. If you have a few months, there are different ways. If you have a few years, sure, go ahead. But um, that's one of the first decisions that I think people have to make. It always sounds easier to do than it really is. Selling things online or through... Um, uh, garage sales or antique stores takes time. takes a lot of right. time. You know, of course I am a professional in the business, but I always think it's a good idea unless you really know, I mean, truly know what's in a place. Mm -hmm. If you have any question at all is to spend the money to get someone in there to take a look or just get an opinion or get a couple of opinions. Um, yeah. Because um, the, the thing that happens often is, um, you know, someone can sell that real valuable item for way, way under the money and never mm -hmm. have a clue. Happens all the time. Well, and, and each segment of stuff has professionals, and many of whom will help you identify the items for free or for a small cost. Take jewelry, for instance. Mm -hmm. And if, you're, if you've got a bunch of jewelry, you know, how many of us can tell if it's a real, uh, a real ruby or a real pearl, or, or not. I can't. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some clues. If you see that the pearls um, have a, uh, a gold clasp at, or a you know 
platinum clasp and they're knotted in between, they're probably real. Fake pearls generally wouldn't. Mm -hmm. If you see a, similarly with a, a ring, if it's 14, 18 karat gold or platinum, it's probably a real stone in it and not a fake stone. But you take those to a jeweler and Almost any jeweler, reputable local jeweler, will look at it and be able to tell you, no charge, what separate the real from the costume jewelry. Mm -hmm. If you want an appraisal, of course, that would cost you. But, but they can tell you what's real and what's not. I had a jeweler once go through stuff and say, this is real, this is not, and this is really good costume jewelry that looks real, and you might as well <laughs> wear it because everybody's going to think it's real. Yeah. Now, I talked to a woman, I think I may have said this on the show before, but I was at an estate sale in California, and the woman ahead of me, I could tell was a professional, you know, she had her, her fanny pack on, and she was just all, she was there early, and she had her little flashlight and all kinds of things. So I said, uh, what was the, your biggest score? And she said the first estate sale she ever went to, she bought a five-carat diamond ring. The people thought it was costume. She bought it for 10 cents. Oh. 10 cents. <laughs> it was so big it looked fake. That's right. So yes. a jewelry is a, a real big one for someone to get yes. checked out. A lot of calls that I have gotten over the years, people talk about stamps. Now, I have, you know, this stamp collection. My grandfather collected stamps or my uncle or whoever it was. And 99.9% .9 of the time, they're just stamp value or, you know, they're nothing. Right. But there could be that one stamp in there that could be extremely valuable. And it's always a good idea to have someone that knows what they're doing to look at it that you can trust. Absolutely. And same with coins. And, right. And mm -hmm. Coin collecting and stamp collecting is really in decline. Absolutely. So, As a matter of fact, while we're on this subject, I'll tell you, a friend of mine runs a coin and stamp auction. And he said he has to run his stamp auctions during the day because none of the attendees drive at night. They're all oh. at least in their 70s or older. I donated um, uh, my father's old stamp collection. He was not a real collector. It was just probably a child's collection. Anyway, I donated to a stamp club. I said, look, I don't want any money for this. Just take it, use it. He said, they said, we'll give it, if, it to a young person who's starting mm -hmm. out collecting stamps, and it'll be, you know... Some... It'll start them going. How nice. Right. And I said, great idea. And they said, well, if we can find a young person who's interested <laughs> in collecting. It's just not something that young kids do. That's right. Yep. It's one of those uh, one of those things that are fading out, and you got it right on the money. Uh, well, and, and you think coins. of all the other categories like that. I mean, collecting mm -hmm. in general is fading out because it's a demographic issue. The, the greatest generation, they're all in their 80s if they're still living, and 90s. And then you've got the boomers, in the oldest ones in their 60s. And these were acquisitive people. Mm -hmm. They're either dying or downsizing. So there's tons of stuff coming on the market that they collected, and not a lot of younger people coming up, not as many, who want the stuff. So when you have things like, Christmas plates and Hummels mm. and stamps and coins and, you know, whatever it is, dolls, anything. It's, there, there are more sellers than there, 
then there are buyers, and we all know what that means. Yes. And, you know, I feel like a broken record um, talking to people in my business constantly about having the Limoges platter or something that mm. used to be worth $200, and I have to tell them, I'm right. sorry, we can't take that. We can't take, even if you had 20 of them, we can't take them and sell them at one in one lot. They just don't bring the money anymore. And it, it's, it's hard, but that is the truth of it. The less people that will buy, the lower and lower it goes. And you hit it. You know, Hummels is a great example oh, isn't it? of something that's selling for absolutely nothing. Yep. <laughs> yep. It used to be hundreds of dollars each, and, uh, you know. Now it's 20 yeah, if, if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Well, we say in the business that eBay killed Hummels. And, and, um, it's true. It may not be just eBay. It's just the availability of it. It's the Internet, not eBay per mm-hmm. se. It's mm-hmm. the fact that now you can find them, whereas before you had to be lucky and find them in an antique store and find just the one you wanted so you pay whatever you had to. But now you can find 10 of the kind you want So. Buy it with one click. Mm, yeah. So. Yeah. What would uh, some people do with something that falls in the category? Well, they're going to have a hard time selling it, and they really don't want it. Where do they go then? Well, what I what I hope they don't do is throw it out, because one of the biases I have with this book is to keep things out of the landfill. We don't need more stuff going going that direction. Um, what I, you know, what I'd like to see people do uh, is donate stuff, um, and of course the obvious is Goodwill and and Amvets and and those wonderful Salvation Army uh, places like that, and and that's that's a terrific idea. But then you can donate a little more specifically if you are apply a little creative thinking, um, you know, donate the canned goods and the uh, paper products from the household to the food bank and donate the books to the library and donate the toys to the uh, YMCA uh, daycare uh, center. Um, Donate the fur stoles to a high school or university theater program or a community theater program. Um, that's a good place for hats and shawls and um, uniforms and um, things that can be used in plays or worn for plays. Um, I encourage people to think, well, a lot of people think that if, if you're not donating some you know, expensive piece of art or valuable antique, that, that a museum wouldn't be interested and museums are very interested in everyday items. So, you know, you've got that diary from your great uncle from the Pacific. Donate it to the Marine Museum up in Quantico. They would love it. Um, you've got um, a, a picture, scrapbook, from uh, a, a great-grandmother or something who who grew up in a little town in Ohio, donated to the historical society there so they can have the pictures and the cutouts, the newspaper cutouts that she, she took. Um, you can donate an old family Bible to a, that has genealogy information in it 
to a, a state library or a county historical society that has a genealogy program. Um, it, donations are, are so much appreciated at our everything from the Library of Congress to our state libraries, our state historical societies, and every state has one. Um, counties, many counties and do, and there are thousands and thousands of historical houses who would love some old Christmas ornaments and, and Christmas lights from the 1940s so they can do their Christmas exhibit if they are a house from the 1940s, if they're portraying that era, you know, things like that. Um, books from a certain era that would go with a, a particular historic house. And it's not hard to find these. You can call a historical society at your local level or your state level and say, oh, I've got this and such. Where might I, where might they be interested in, in having a donation? And, and somebody will match you up. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of people feel when they come into this situation is that it's extremely overwhelming and they'll, they'll feel like they never get through it. But I will tell, tell the person out there listening that if you have to go through this, you will get through it. It's just, you, it's just a really good idea to think it out before you take actions. And uh, I think this book is a, uh, a great tool to help you do that. Well, thank you. I hope so. So before, before you go, uh, Mary, can you talk about your, uh, some of the other books you have written? Um, just briefly, um, The Myths Debunked, we talked about that last time. Oh, yeah. That was such a blast um, of some of the, the funny myths that are out there. And you taught me something in that last oh, show. Yeah. Yes, about the folk artists, the itinerant artists oh, that right. I used it's to think. Paintings, yes. yes. <laughs> so that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. that's a good but, one. Now, do you have some other books that... I know you've written a lot of historical... I have. I've got about 10 at the moment. Um, the, the most recent one, um, except for the hist- history myths, that's Death by Petticoat. Got a lot of death in my titles, I, I realize, <laughs> but that wasn't intended. <laughs> um, uh, just last year, my book, First House, uh, came out, and that is a uh, story of the Virginia governor's mansion. We celebrated our, the, its 200th anniversary uh, last year, and I was asked to do the um, uh, coffee table book, which was a lot of fun. I spent a lot of time doing research and uh, interviews, fascinating people that I got to interview, so I enjoyed that. But my um, most exciting uh, new project, after being a uh, nonfiction writer for 35 years, I decided to try my hand at fiction. And being mostly a colonial historian, I decided to break free of the colonial period, and I landed in the Roaring Twenties ah. <laughs> and wrote um, a. I'm writing a mystery series set in the Roaring Twenties uh, with a vaudeville or a silent film backdrop. The first one was published last year, The Impersonator, and by um, St. Martin's Press, and they are the uh, premier mystery press in the country, so I was very lucky. They published it because it won the National Award for Best First Crime Novel. Wow. Uh, um, lucky about Congratulations. that, Congratulations. And then um, in a few months, they're publishing the second in the series, which they told me will be titled Silent Murders. It takes place in silent film um, Hollywood in 1925. And I finished the third one, and I'm working on the fourth. So there's a long pipeline in, in publishing. You're going to have to put death in one of those titles. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think I will, but it, so it gets kind of confusing. 
<laughs> right. Well, thanks so much, Mary. It was wonderful. Uh, it was really good to talk to you again. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com.